You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, brought to you in association with Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs. Getting noticed isn't always easy, because there's so much noise! But at Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, we make it easy. With standout signs, business cards, shop fronts, banners, leaflets, vehicle graphics, the lot. Showcasing your products, advertising your brand, and getting business noticed. So, what can we do for you? Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. rolls to the boys back to Kingsley curls the twice no, 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 no Kingsley magic hello and welcome to episode 284 of Scarves Around the Funnel the podcast dedicated to Hearts of Midlothian Football Club I'm Mark Donaldson Laurie Dunsiles under the weather and unable to extricate himself from his marble clad floral bathroom in Musselburgh it's actually a year to the very day, February 19th, that I last hosted a main episode of Around the Funnel. On that occasion, Laurie was with his partner Gail, attending the birth of Hart's baby Callum, as my daughter calls their son. And on that occasion, episode 230, we were also looking back at the weekend game against Motherwell, that also finished 2-0 to the home side. However... 12 months on, we're talking about goals from Shankland and Vargas at Tynecastle, rather than Obika and Spittle at Fir Park, and an eight-game winning streak for the Jam Tarts, rather than the start of a run of seven defeats in eight. To our guests this week, I'll start with our regular sidekick, the sensible one of the trio, or quartet when McGowan bothers his arse. It's the tactics guru himself, brilliant with a Betamax and a virtuoso with a VHS, Mr. Scott McIntosh, who doesn't get that kind of introduction from Dunsire, do you? No, I don't. Uh, I, I was actually getting referred to as the straight man to you and Laurie on kickback the other day. So if I do throw a few curveballs, it's just because I'm trying to come across a little bit more eccentric and try and stray away from that sort of straight man uh, persona that I seem to have now. So, so if you're the straight man without knowing what the other two are, I, I think I'd rather be the straight man and clearly I'm not. I don't, I'm, I'm scared it felt like there. a backhanded compliment, if I'm being honest. When somebody says you're the straight man in a trio, I sometimes think that's their roundabout way of saying the unfunny one. Well, no, I'd say the sensible one. It keeps us all grounded. <laughs> so, our special guest this week was the Hearts mascot at Tynecastle against Queen of the South way back in April 1983 after winning a junior club quiz in the match programme. Host of BBC Radio Scotland's Drive Time show, a Scotland Today and Sky Sports alumnus, as well as ITN's former Africa, Europe and United Kingdom correspondent. It's the wonderful Mr. Martin Geisler. And Martin, appearing on this podcast, that's got to be up there with any of your career highlights. It's it's bookending my life. But the, the, <laughs> the start of it was uh, was the, the mascot appearance. And now this. Well, I, I can't cap it. I'm worried what happens next. It'll never yeah. happen. Well, we, we'll not tell long, long time listener, long time listener, oh, first, time first time caller. caller. Love, love the show. Love the Thank show. Thank you. 
Welcome. You said exactly the same to Graham Spears when you appeared on his podcast a couple of years ago. So <laughs> you're allowed to listen to more than don't one. tell me you've been doing research. I don't oh, come on. I've got I've got a lot of research here. First of all, I had to correct what you said on his show that you were a mascot against Queen of the South in April 1982 because that really fucked me because I was going through London Hearts and they didn't play Queen of the South. I didn't say Queen of the April. South, did I? I said no, it was right. Queen's Park. It was Queen's Park. I didn't did I tell him it was Queen of the South. No, you said it was 1982. And that ah. got me going. I'm like, oh, the only times we played against anyone with Queens of the South or Park was 83 and 82. But we got there. We got there. And you've got the old V-neck strip with the old Alexander's logo on the yeah. front. Did, did you have that prior to yeah. that game or did you get given that? I had that, and you'll see that it doesn't have the Alexander's logo on the front because, like everybody back in those days, I took it to Top Sport on the corner at Gorgie Road to get Alexander's printed onto the front of it in a typeset that was completely unlike the typeset the players had, just little letters that you would get at the back of a T-shirt or something, and they fell off quite quickly. So I'd, rather than have half the name on the front, I picked it all off before my before my starring appearance in front of about a crowd of about 2,500, I seem to remember, on a Wednesday night. It was more than that. It was it was over five thousand. But we'll get to all was that. It? I've done, I've done wow. my research. We'll save that. Scotty, what was your first ever Hearts kit that you owned? I think memory serves me right. It would have been round about eighty seven, eighty eight when I was about three or four. So that was kind of like the first sort of kit that I think my dad got me. The first ones that I remember sort of wearing or still have pictures of wearing would have been round about the nineteen ninety one season. Uh, and also had the sort of very flammable shell suits as well. So they're, they're kind of the ones that I have fonder memories of. But I, I probably did get a couple of sort of junior kits that are up in the loft somewhere for sort of the late 80s as well. Everyone's got a story to, to tell. Martins is about the top sport and on Gorgie Road and the, the, the logo that kind of didn't match. You've got your flammable shell suits and whatever. My father was a friend of Andy Bruce's mum, the former Rangers goalie that had a time at heart. So I've got his old gloves somewhere or had them. But he also managed to get me um, a 1984-85. We've spoken about this on the show before. 84-85 hearts top that had number 11 on the back. But instead of, what would it have been, Renault or Alexander's back then, it was it had a, a kind of patch over it that had been stitched that said Mita because they were they were late um, with the new strips from 85, 86. Um, so that ended up being a reserve jersey. So uh, Gary Cowan and, and various others have done a lot of research on that. Um, and we've heard a fair bit about it. Anyway, we digress. This is Scarves Around the Funnel, and we are brought to you by... Forest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, Creative Sign and Print Solutions since the 1950s. We start with Martin Geisler, who doesn't need to have any reads on BBC Radio Scotland with advertising, because we fund you, Mr. Geisler. Thanks. Thanks very much. You're welcome, you're welcome. I Hearts. spend it wisely. <laughs> Hearts to Motherwell nil at Tynecastle. First of all, not just a top radio host and a, a wonderful journalist and broadcaster, but you see more than your fair share of games at Tynecastle. Season ticket holder, Martin? So I had my first season ticket in about 81, and I've had a part, I lived abroad for, oh, I don't know, eight years, so I didn't have them, but every other season, basically, I've had a season ticket, yeah, and not only home games, I go pretty much everywhere. I've only missed mm -hmm. a, maybe three games this season I've missed. So, You're yeah, Ibrox on Sunday, aren't you? How many loyalty points you got? How many do you need for that game? Uh, I, I don't know. I've, I haven't organised the ticket. I've got my ticket, but uh, okay. my pal Ray got it for me. Um, I'm about 100 loyalty points at the moment, something like that. I haven't checked. Need to check. Good. 
Yeah, we'll preview the Rangers game later, but I want to start with Hearts 2, Motherwell nil. Hearts lining up with a back three. Zander Clark in goal, Kingsley, Kent and Rolls. Lambekisa and Cochrane on either side. Beningamy, Fraser and Newenhoff in the middle. Forrest and Shankland up top. Scott, what was your thoughts on that lineup? Yeah, I, I, I know it's quite a divisive sort of formation amongst the fans. I think particularly with home fixtures in mind. Clearly, we the last time we started with that formation uh, at home was during the the 3-2-1 against Dundee, and we had to sort of revert back to that four uh, at half-time during that game. I, f I think in theory, it has its merits. I, you could see what they were trying to do. They were trying to... They're trying to create overloads in the wide positions, so they wanted Lembekisa and Cochrane as high up the park as they could, and playing the three kind of gives you that luxury, especially with Benny sort of sitting in front of them. It, it it just became one of those halves where, through a mixture of Motherwell's low block and, and our sort of tendency to maybe be a bit too passive with our, with our possession game, it just didn't quite work the way that I'm sure they'd been working on mm. in the, the days leading up to it. But I, I can understand why they've why they've tried it again. Again, we've, we've discussed before with Kai Rolls, I think it suits him to play you know, left of a three rather than playing a four. So maybe there was a little bit of that in the mindset as well. But uh, I'm sure it'll come round again. Uh, in fact, you'll probably see it against Rangers, no doubt. And again, you know, there'll, there'll be games where it'll certainly have its uh, strengths and weaknesses. Martin, we've played back fours recently. We did mm. play a three before then. Was it a surprise to you, or do you think it was, as Scott said, perhaps with Rangers in mind this weekend? No, it, it it was a surprise to me, given that the majority of well, I, I think the majority of the support probably know better than me. I'm no expert in any of these matters. And the, the consensus seems to be that a four works best. I have to say, I kind of prefer a five. And for this one in particular, I, I, I mean, I was obviously wrong because they swapped it in the second half and that's what seemed to unlock a lot of stuff. But I A, I like our centre-backs and I don't know which one I would drop. I don't like seeing Kingsley drop. You know, he, would, he had a, a good game, I thought. Also, I don't quite fancy... I wanted to see Lembekisa start that game because he's been really impressive in the kind of three games he'd played in, in prior to that. And I don't think he's a fullback. I think he's a wingback. So in that respect, I wanted to see a five, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But it quickly became clear that that probably wasn't the best formation. Lembekisa certainly didn't have his best half. So he came off, they changed things around and everything seemed to, clock, to, to, to click into place. But But there you go. Lauren Shanklin scored in the 33rd minute against St Mirren two days before Christmas. That was the last time Hearts scored a Premiership goal in the first half. Why do you think that is, Scott? I think it's a, it's a mixture of a few sort of elements. Uh, Stephen Naismith sort of hit the nail on the head when he discussed the fact that you know teams will predominantly come at Tynecastle in the past, but also just now given the rich veiny form that we're in, and they are going to adopt a bit of a low block. Motherwell were quite happy playing a sort of five-four-one sort of system. Uh, Divine and Gent weren't really pushing up very far as wing-backs and then they had the sort of midfielders including Vale who is predominantly a striker but seemed to be sort of playing a bit deeper on Saturday pressing on Beningamy which again was stopping us from getting any sort of flow to our, to our game as well and we you know, as, as, as some of the tacticians will say, we were sort of playing in that horseshoe way, sort of playing the wing back to wing back using the sort of centre halves. So I think there's a there's an element of that at play. 
I think that there's an element of Hearts being quite comfortable knowing that when they get the chances, they've got players there that'll take them and mm-hmm. not needing to sort of push the push the game hard and as fast as maybe Hearts fans have been sort of conditioned to, to sort of seeing over the years as well. So I think there's an element of those things at play and I don't necessarily think it needs to be viewed as a negative. No, not I at think all. That there's sometimes we could have started with a four-three-three on Saturday, and we could have maybe looked at the same situation because Motherwell were pressing the game well and playing with a low block. Now, if you if you're patient enough, teams certainly don't seem to be able to play that way for a full ninety minutes because they're incapable of playing that way without the ball uh, and 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 with that sort of hard pressing game. So it's a case of sort of sometimes biding your time. And the game really didn't swing for us until we got the first goal. So yeah. although we changed the formation, we made some personnel changes, it doesn't really change until we get the first goal and then Motherwell have to sort of change yeah. their way a little bit. So I think there is a few things coming into play there, but Given how we're playing in the second half just now, it's not something that I think we need to worry about. Naturally, no. against Rangers Celtic, yeah, you would worry a bit more about having a bit more of a slow start to the game, but they will come out and play their own game as well. So that that might actually negate some of the issues that we're having against some of the other sides. Yeah, the, the bigger story here is how Hearts are, are finishing games, how Hearts are playing in the second half, and ultimately the result. There's no diagrams on the scorecard, and if we go in at nil-nil, or we've gone in behind and we've still turned it around, we'll be talking about best second half displays later on in the show today. And yeah, we've had Jack Vale, and we've had Lennon Miller of Motherwell have opportunities in the first half, but they didn't take them, and we went in at nil-nil. And, and Martin, something I want to talk to you about here is the reaction of the crowd at half-time, because... Mm. I think if that had been towards the start of this run, where we didn't have all these successes um, that have just happened, there would have been, and there has been in the past, vitriolic um, noise and not so much abuse, but a lot of booze at halftime. There wasn't that against Motherwell. What did you make of the reaction of the fans at halftime compared with what we have seen in the past when it's not been going our way at home? Well, you've got me on home turf here, Mark. I am a, I've am got very definite opinions about large sections of our support. I'm not a fan of the way they behave, of the way they get on people's backs and the way they constantly want people dropped, sacked, the whole lot. And I, and I think you're being quite generous when you're saying if it had been at the start of this run, I think it would have been two weeks ago we might have got booed off the pitch. In fact, there were people sitting around me saying, well, that's quite good, they didn't get booed off. And there was quite there, there was comment on Twitter, wasn't there, after the game saying, damn, when, and it was nil-nil, you know. And, and, and I think that is actually, that's not a compliment that we should pay to our own support. It's an observation that we should take uh, cognizance of in the few we should take stock, shouldn't we? And think, Christ, you know, we're we're, we're seven games unbeaten. It's nil nil at half time, and we're surprised we're not booing the team off. Um, I I, th- I think that's that's something we should we should genuinely think about. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we've turned a corner, maybe hopefully. Even even you and Murray, the notorious <laughs> wind up merchant and malcontent who sits a couple of rows in front of me, uh, turned around at the start of the game and said, I've no worries about this game. We've got a brilliant manager. Now, Ewan was a man who was not of that opinion about three weeks ago. So uh, Stephen Naismith is being one round. I just hope I just hope that stays because I've got a horrible feeling that if we go into these next three games and come out of it with not much, the Boo Boys, there's a lot of people in there who want nothing more than the opportunity to boo the team again or boo the manager again, for mm. sure. 
Am I being too harsh? Well, that, let's have a conversation. Let's have a discussion about that. One of the things that I've learned over the years as a journalist, broadcaster, commentator, you got to listen to what the person you're working with or sat alongside or doing business with is saying. And part of what you said there was large sections of the heart support. Now, if everybody's quiet and you get three or four idiots that are shouting, not just at Tynecastle but anywhere, you're going to hear them. Is it large sections? We all we all know it's not that though, don't we? We all know it's. I, not. I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm not trying to wind people up. I'm not trying to throw a grenade in here. I'm speaking from three and a half thousand miles away in Connecticut. I don't get to home games. I don't know what the reaction has been like and whether it is. I've heard it on Hearts TV, but is it a minority or is it large sections? And if it's large sections, what are we talking here? Are we talking tens, hundreds, thousands? What are we talking? Oh, look, uh, it's a vocal minority. I'm not saying it's the vast majority of the support, but it's still large sections. You can have you can have large sections in a minority, um, but it's destructive. That's all I'm saying. Um, and it's uh, you know, uh, how many other teams have booed players onto the pitch when they get subbed on? Toby Civic's been booed on. So it just gets it just gets my go. I'm very look. I'm a very happy clappy hearts fan, right? I'm the ultimate happy clapper. I didn't, you know, I'd have I'd probably have still still have Craig Levine here if I just don't like. I just don't like fans getting on the backs of the club that you go and support. Um, but you know, I'm often, as I said, I've, I'm often proved wrong. It was it was definitely time for Craig Levine to go. It was probably time for Robbie Nielsen to go at the end of that run, although you could have a conversation with that. We certainly seem to have got at least a more than adequate replacement in Stephen Naismith. Um, however, th there, was a, there was a big chunk of our support who didn't want to give him a chance. Hmm. Before we continue with this, I want to try and clear something up. You say you sit a couple of rows behind you and Murray. Stand no, I do. He's just got a new season ticket. Which stand? You and, and my stand. Well, I said I said just. Well, I'm not going to tell you where, exactly where I sit because no, I don't want to know. Which, you and Murray is upset. So many people are going to come along yes. and lynch him in the main. In the main, <laughs> in, the main in the main stand. In the main stand. So you're all in the main stand. You, yeah. you and and Scott. You're in the main stand as well, aren't you? Yeah, I'm section S. Ah, okay. You hate it, um, Geisler. If I come on your show or whatever and someone tries to... <laughs> yeah, hey, you just hold on here. Stuart R1874 on Twitter. The tweet, February 17th, 5.40pm. Would the smelly bastard around row 32, <laughs> section S of the main stand, please go to the toilet? Every game stinks of I'm about seven rows down for there, At so I'm going to say it's that five, one after the other. Absolutely nay need. And the first reply is farts, farts, glorious farts. So it's neither of you, or is it you and Murray, or are you all I saying... Can, I, can, I can tell, here's as far as I'm prepared to go on this. You and Murray doesn't sit all that far away from there. Okay. So you're I'm saying not, it's not, it's definitely not you. I'm not saying it's definitely you and... But I'm not. But nor am I ruling him out, and it's certainly, certainly not me. Behave yourself. I'm a debonair man of words. Debonair. Just because you wear tweed and were brought up in a posh <laughs> part of Edinburgh, you still can have an arse like a sewer rat. Don't get me that. You don't get this on BBC Radio Scotland Drive. I'll tell I you certainly that. Certainly don't. I'm no, regretting don't. it already. Well, indeed, um, Scott. Let's follow up on what Martin said here with regards to the reaction of the fans at, at halftime. Do we have an issue with some supporters thinking if we're not in the Champions League every year, then they deserve to hear it from us? I think I think what Martin says with, with regards to the next three games, which I think we can all agree are about you know, harder-runny city fixtures that we can that we can get domestically, 
I think the difference that I can see if we don't get a lot of positive results over the next three games compared to where we were maybe around October, November of this season is that, just my own opinion, Hearts fans should feel more comforted from the fact that there's a a body of evidence now there from Stephen Naismith to suggest that he would be able to turn that situation around. So even regardless of whether it's Hibs, Rangers, Celtic or Aberdeen, Motherwell and Kilmarnock, if we go on, I say, a, a little blip, which I think we will eventually, you know, uh, then there's that, there's that run that we're currently in the middle of and hopefully at the beginning or middle of, hopefully it's not coming to an end, where fans will be able to look at that and go, well, I know that we've not been great the last two or three games, but we can see the changes that he made back in December, back in January, back in February to suggest that we won't have to wait too long for that to come back around. Now, again, the risk when you hire a manager without that that pedigree or that experience is that as soon as you hit that first blip in form, and if you hit it at the start of his reign, it can be hard for fans to possibly show that patience that they need to because they, they're unsure about where this is going to go because they don't know whether he's he's going to be a successful manager or not. And I think that's potentially what was going on earlier on in the season. I think there was also the expectation of what had been said post Robbie Nielsen's departure. And without without labouring on the point too much again, because I know it's something we've discussed before, there was talk about a winning a winning individual, a winning manager. And and I think because Robbie had got us to that 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 position that we were in of being third the season before and round about those places again last season, I think that there was a an assumption based on what had been said in the aftermath of Robbie's departure that we would maybe be looking for someone with a bit more of a pedigree and experience. So I think there was a few things that came into play at the start of the season. I think we could all agree that we're really glad that, you know, the board, uh, and among some, you know, fan criticism, you know, were resolute and they believed in Stephen Naismith and we can see the sort of fruits of that labour now. But yeah, I would like to think that it wouldn't go back to that sort of toxic environment if we inevitably go on that run because people should be comforted by what's been mm. going on just now. Putting that into context, Hart's last 10 goals at Tynecastle have all been scored in the second half. One of the things I really liked about Stephen Naismith's uh, press conference or his, his chat with Hearts TV and others after the game was why he says he's not getting carried away. And I, I like that. It's a winner's mentality. It's not we're looking what's below us and how far we are ahead of the teams that are in fourth, fifth and sixth. That He wouldn't be drawn on chasing Rangers and Celtic, but it's pretty clear he's saying we're looking up. The main thing that struck me was his comments about the supporters and how he's, he's, he's very pleased with the heart support. But he also added in that this is a, a stadium that can scare the hell out of away support. And if everybody is behind Hearts right from the start, which I thought they were at the weekend, it can be like a twelfth a man. So I don't want to labour this point too much about that. I want to get on to the, the second half. But I think I think he, he's smart with these comments as well about getting the fans mm. on board right from the start. And if things don't go their way, if teams come in and sit and they have to be patient, I think we're starting to see that fans are a bit more patient than they used to be. Martin, at the start of the second half, there were some changes that were made. Atkinson for Lembekisa, Benengami had taken a knock replaced by Vargas. What did you make of the changes and the change of system deployed by Naismith? 
Well, I think if he he was go he wanted to go to a four, obviously. I think he was right to take Limbakisa off because, as I said before, I don't fancy him as a fullback. And it was good to see Atkinson. I mean, what he's obviously come back brimming with confidence um, from the Asian Cup, hasn't he? Wasn't sure about Cochrane going into midfield, but I just I just like Alex Cochrane, so I wasn't I wasn't all that concerned about that. And who did Vargas come on for again? Benny Benigami, who'd taken him off. Of course he did, of course he did. Or he was just tired, wasn't he? He said he'd, he was fatigued, I think, uh, Naismith. But, um, yeah, I mean, oh, crikey, Vargas, man, get get the permanent deal signed. He's just developing w- with every passing week. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all, all very positive, as were the rest of them. The other thing I take from all of that, you know, Mark, is that... that I wonder the question you asked Scott earlier on about why we, um, you know, why we're not firing till the second half. Is that because you, what Naismith does, the original, you know, the original formation he sets up, or the the the, the way we practice through the week, uh, isn't he's not instinctively right necessarily all the time. But what he does have is confidence in his own abilities and the ability to mix things up and know exactly how to do or what he's going to do, and 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 confidence in his options and a team that a squad that delivers him those options. So it, it, it's just wonderful to 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 know that you've got that strength on the bench and a team that can adapt and still move the ball around mm-hmm. creatively and and um, and aggressively. Scott, for you, what was the biggest change after we went to a four with regards to how much of a threat we were? I think we, we dropped Neuenhoff back into his most comfortable position. He was playing a bit deeper. I think we've seen examples this season, notably St Johnston on the opening day of the season, Dundee in the first half a few weeks ago, where I'm not quite sure his best game comes from an advanced position. And I feel like what they were trying to do with him and Fraser was play them almost as sort of eight slash tens in front of Beningame. Now, that wasn't helping when Motherwell were pressing on the game because Beningame just didn't have an option either side of him. So it was kind of negating his his sort of influence on the game, but I also felt like Neuenhoff, we weren't seeing the best out of him either, and I felt playing from that deeper position certainly helped him, and especially when Tate comes on for Cochrane, I mm-hmm. think having someone playing and sort of bouncing off of him uh, during the second half, that was certainly an improvement. Also, Oda, that's, I think that's the best he's mm. been for, for some time. Uh, just sort of playing with a bit of confidence, not scared to take his man on, uh, and that certainly seemed to help as well. So I think a, a, a sort of mixture of those, those substitutions certainly helped us. Martin, I like the fact that the five subs that were brought on are all players that if they were in the first 11, if they were in the starting lineup, you wouldn't bat an eyelid. Devlin, who came on later for Neuenhoff, who got a standing ovation, which was great to see. Oda and Tate, as Scott mentioned, and Vargas and Atkinson. Somebody was saying the other day, we're only, uh, we're only about our bench is only about three or four players away from being about the fifth best team in the Premiership. <laughs> That's true. Denham, Brad, Sebek, and Gordon yeah. were unused. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, and 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 you know, there's there's no there's no weak link there, is there? There's. I mean, how long is it since you've seen a Hearts team, never mind a Hearts squad, that you can look through and think, yeah, I I want all of them to play today. There's, there, you know, I don't mind any of that lot. They're all. Absolutely on the top of their game, and and what what about Oda? Scott's mentioned Oda, quite rightly. Do you remember when he started? Right, the, the, he came in in the winter window, January window, didn't mm-hmm. he? And there was he just couldn't buy a goal. Do you remember he did everything apart yeah. from score in that first season? Was this the Oda we had then, 
Or did we just love him a little bit too much then and he's now progressed because he's transformed in the last... Well, that, that second half performance against Motherwell was amazing. He's so rapid over like five yards. It's amazing. You've got politics in your journalist history. Someone's done up a... a is it John Berkow, who was the former speaker of the, yeah. the House of, of Commons? Older! 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 You've, you've been in America too long, Mark. Berkow, we call him here. What did I call him? Berkow. Berkow. <laughs> okay, upper 90, Lauren Shanklin, 67th minute. Great goal. But what about the assist from a brilliant free kick from Alan Forrest, Scotty? Yeah, I know. This is where my sort of half glass empty oh. uh, sort of negativity comes Keep into play. Positive. I watched that goal, and as soon—I mean, don't get me wrong—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a decent free kick, and it's a really good header for Shanklin as well. But I watched that goal, and I think that's why I do not like zonal defending. And we've been really good at it this season. I know I'm a, a big critic of sort of zonal defending, but if you look at Casey and. Mugabe, they're both just, neither of them are picking up Shanklin and you're just thinking, just mark the man. Mark the man who's scored 25 goals this season. Don't worry about marking space. And that, like, again, at the game, loved it. Really good header, good set play. But when I started watching it on the repeats again on Sports that I'm thinking, that's why I hate Zorro Market. Same, same as Celtic, wasn't it? Shanklin's yeah. goal at Celtic Park. Wide open at the back post. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I felt we were in control by this stage and it was a case of, it looked certainly a case of when the second goal was going to come. Vargas has hit the post with a super effort as well. It eventually came, and I, I heard Kettlewell saying, oh, there's definitely a foul in the build-up. He had no complaints about Shanklin's opener, uh, just that his defence had switched off, and you've got to be focused for 100% of the game, and they weren't, and Shanklin got the goal. Vargas, the question is now, we've just spoken about the threats that we have off the bench, what do we do for the Rangers game this weekend? Has Vargas Scott played away into the starting eleven, or Atkinson, or Tate, or Oda for this weekend? Well, if you, if you think back to that previous trip to Ibrox, I felt that we started well. We, we had a really good first half in that game with Vargas playing sort of uh, on the last shoulder. He goes in and. And uh, Balogun with Shanklin sort of dropping deeper and helping the midfield free. Our mistake in that game was switching Vargas out wide right for the second half and he didn't have quite the same impact. I think I'd quite like to see him or Forrest sort of starting in that position again, just ahead of Shankland. And it just gives us a bit of an an out ball if, if Rangers are a little bit camped in our half at, at various stages of the match. So I think regardless of whether it's Vargas or Forrest, that's the, the sort of option I'd quite like to see us taken. Martin, thinking ahead to the weekend, Dunsar hates it when I just I go off off piste and, and kind of just deviate to a game that we're not even talking about. But fuck it, he's not here. Um, this Rangers team selection. Are you playing Lembekisa? Bearing in mind, it's probably going to be a three at the back uh, against Rangers. Rolls, Kent and, and Kingsley, more than likely, because I doubt Halkett will come back for that one. So we've, we've got some team selection um, things to discuss. Is it Lembekisa or is it Atkinson for you? On the right side, are you playing Fraser? Um, are you playing George Grant? Or are you playing Vargas? And maybe go with a front three at Ibrox. What are you going to do? I'm playing Atkinson over Lembekisa just okay. on the basis that, that you know, Atkinson deserves it more than Lembekisa does uh, on the evidence of last Saturday. Um, that said, on a big pitch like Ibrox and a big, you know, big atmosphere, I wonder whether Lembekisa, I mean, Lembekisa has shown flashes in the last few weeks of that he's a you know really exciting Premiership quality player. So I'm I'm 
I'm playing Atkinson with a view to bringing Limbic East on at some point if if the situation lends itself to that. Um, who else are you asking me about? Um, middle of the middle of the park. Uh, Forest started. Sorry, are we assuming Forrest. Benny won't start? Are we? Or do, what do we know? Uh, I don't uh, know. Uh, no, if if Benny starts, Newhoff's likely to start. So is it Fraser? Yeah, def- is yeah, it Grant? Newhoff's definitely starting. Yeah. So is it Fraser, uh, Grant, or is it Vargas, and maybe go with a, a three or a four, three, four, two, one? I'm thinking it is. It will Newhoff will start. <sighs> Fraser, I think, is probably a player for a for a situation for a game like that. I think he, it passed him by a little bit in phases on Saturday, but I wouldn't have a problem putting him back in. Vargas, I'd keep on the bench. I just want to see Vargas coming on for the last half hour. He's a little mosquito who'll just buzz about a hundred miles an hour, and every now and then his sting will come out, and the post will be hit or a goal will be scored. Um, so I'm quite happy to keep it like that. Forrest, I'm very happy with at the moment. I just think he's a magnificent. Little player, and just you know, come just on, isn't he? Classic Scottish winger, isn't he? Hits the byline, gets a ball in. Mm-hmm. He's uh, yeah, he really and does more than that actually. Chant takes people on, uh, and and really creates. Uh, so yeah, I'm. I mean, look again. I'll go back to my, my the the original point. Look at that team. Who are you going to drop? I don't know. It's mm-hmm. wonderful, wonderful decisions you got to make. Vargas Tremendous problems the... we've got. Yeah, Vargas got the second goal in stoppage time. Scott and and he was rewarded because he was he was really good. Um, when he came on, uh, nice enough finish, um, and and that that put it to bed. And I love the fact that Halkett was after the game. He was there at the tunnel to greet everybody as they came off. There's just smiles on faces, and everybody wants to be a part of this right now. And they know if they're not from the start, like Atkinson or Vargas or Tate or Oda or Devlin or the rest of them, they probably will still have a part to play. So even if they're not picked. There's still that camaraderie, Scotty, about this the squad right now because of this momentum. Yeah, and ultimately, even if you're just coming off the bench for a few minutes, if you're part of a winning team, you're getting your bonuses as well. So I think, you know, regardless of whether you're starting or not, ultimately there's a feel-good factor. And I, I don't you can have any complaints just now if you're not playing. He, he tends to pick players based on merit. I think he has done that uh, throughout the season. And again, as Martin said, you know, I think there's certainly some players who came on on Saturday that have probably staked a place to to start maybe on on Saturday. I know the one player we haven't mentioned yet with regards to the Rangers game, I'd like to see Devlin play. Because yeah, I think Devlin I in front of Newenhoff and Beningame, he'll press the game from a more advanced position and he looked right on it on Saturday. And again, I'm a bit of a fanboy for him, but I'd like to see him, Newenhoff and Beningame all starting on Saturday if that's possible. Are we? Do any do any of us have worries about Beningame at the moment? I mean, he's not the same Benny that we all kind of eulogise about from pre-injury. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I just always, I remember saying about Benny when people were asking me about who's this guy everybody's talking about. He's always open. He always manages to make himself available when he gets the ball. He always finds a pass and it always goes forward, and and that's just not in his game. He's just he's he's. A little bit more meek than he used to be. I hope. I hope his mojo comes back. I'm sure it will. But I mean, are we are we all starting Benny at Ibrox? I I think there's a couple of things that play with Benny just now. I I think he's picking up little niggles, which players generally do when they come back for a long term injury. Thankfully, it has just been little niggles up to this point. I think. If you think back to that first season, him and Devlin were very good in that three four three system. Yeah. And to be fair, I think. He had a forward pass on a lot because there was players like Boyce who liked to drop deep, like Barry Mackay who liked to cut in. 
Yeah. I'm not quite sure we've got the same options in front of us just now. Not saying they're worse options, I think they're just different options. And again, I think if you look at Saturday as an example, teams are now sort of pressing on Benny quite a lot. And because we were trying to play Newenhoff and Fraser a bit further forward, he maybe didn't quite have that, that option on there. But I'm hoping he'll get back to full fitness you know, sooner rather than later, but I can understand why he's getting those little niggles just now because of the amount of time mm. that he's he's sort of spent in the treatment table, unfortunately. I know you've both said about Cammy Devlin, and Cammy's just back from injury, and whether it's the, the pace of a game at Ibrox, that 90 minutes, if he was to play that, does Macaulay Tate come into the conversation regarding a potential start here, if Benny doesn't start? Um, I wouldn't be worried if he did, or Denham. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be worried about either of those. Uh, I would put me, I would put Tate on instead of uh, instead of Benny rather than Denham. But but yeah, I I think so. I I still haven't seen enough to 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 be certain that he's a starter at Ibrox. I'd like to see a few more games before I make a final judgment. But yeah, uh, he's another one of these players. He's he, I've seen him coming on as a sub, and he's been a hundred miles an hour. And then I've seen him get a bit more game time and periods of the game seem to pass him by a little bit. But crikey, I mean, we've got to give these boys this is you know, this is a, a boss who's hopefully gonna give some of the kids a real proper chance and treat them like first team proper first team squad players in the way that other managers perhaps haven't been so willing to in the past. And opportunity, wouldn't it? He's done it before, Scott. Aidan Denham started against Rosenberg. And I, I don't look, I don't think he starts if Benny's available. But if Benny's not available, I don't know you've spoken about Cami Devlin, who's just come back from injury. Would you start Macaulay Tate if there was no Benny at Ibrox? Probably wouldn't. I'd probably be inclined to go more towards Denham than I would be Tate, because I think Denham's a far more effective player out of possession than Tate is. So I think we've, we've all been impressed by Macaulay Tate and I, I'm hoping he'll become a, a permanent fixture in the squad over the next few years. But when we've seen him impressing, it's been in home fixtures when we've been predominantly getting about 60-70% of the ball in the second half of matches. You've got the crowd on top of you as well and they're fully behind you. I think away Rangers where we're going to probably concede possession for large parts of the game and he's going to have to work his way back uh, rather than looking forward. I think it would be a harder match. I think Tate would potentially be a good foil for Beningame, but I don't think he would be a good replacement for Beningame. Beningame in himself is a bit of a... He's a bit of an exception as a Hearts player. We don't really have someone that I think plays that role the same way that he does. And if he's missing, I don't think anyone out of Neuenhoff and, and Devlin or that really fit in the same way that he does. So for me, I think it would be try to balance that and I think you'd probably have to get another you know, another player that was capable of pressing the game. And I think Denham would probably have to come in a, a heady Tate in that fixture. For the time being, anyway, mm -hmm. it's 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 a certain part of his game that Tate might improve on. But just now, I think he's definitely a, a player who's definitely got more to offer when we've got the ball rather than chasing the game. We'll get predictions for Ibrox from Scott and from Martin at the end of the show. But Hearts beat Motherwell by two goals to nil and are now closer to Celtic in second than they are to Kilmarnock in fourth. Quite the run of victories for Hearts. And right now, it's just fantastic to be a Hearts supporter. Just to put a bow on proceedings for this section of the podcast, a message from Ewan Murray regarding Fartgate in the main <laughs> stand. 
round 32, row 32, section S of the main stand. Someone has personal hygiene issues. Ewan says, just to declare, I sit in row 31. Hepburn and McDonald have been making creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. For more, visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. You're listening mm. to Scarves Around the Funnel, brought to you in association with Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs. Creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Okay, I'm going to give you some info here. Martin Geisler, I want you to tell me which of this is wrong. Most of it's correct, but one of this thing that I'm about to say is wrong. Ray Dunlop, Walter Kidd, Cammy Fraser, Dave McNichol, Captain Jim Jeffries, John Craig, Willie Gibson, who was replaced by Dennis McQuaid, Eamon Bannon, Derek O'Connor, Drew Busby, Malcolm Robertson. That was the Hearts lineup. On the 23rd of December 1978, and a goalless draw at Tynecastle against an Aberdeen side that included Gordon Strachan, Steve Archibald, and Joe Harper, and was managed by Alex Ferguson. There was an eight year old at that game who was threatened by the police with expulsion for excessive swearing. <laughs> which of that is correct and which of that is wrong, Martin? The exaggeration is the, the, the police. Uh, uh, the police involvement. There was no police involvement. <laughs> uh, and was Jim Jeffries really captain? Yes, he was. He was, Jeff was. That was my first game. That was my first game. Why were you swearing? Uh, well, because, do you know, I can, do you want me to tell you the reason why yes, I swearing? Yes, There's a genuine, and I'm sure it's a deep psychological reason. I, I went, my dad took me, the only time my dad ever took me to a football match, he took me and he sat me on a crush barrier behind the goal at the school end. And I, and people walked past and as, a, I was, as you say, I was eight years old. And people walked past and they were swearing. They were singing, they were swearing, top of their voice, all that. And I'd never heard people like swearing openly, really, before. You were from Megatland. I, exactly. And and we didn't do that in Megatland, <laughs> believe me. Um, I, 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 they, we parked our sedan chair outside the turnstiles. The servants took me in, and I, I'd never seen the likes in my life. Take no, your they, picnic rug and just get all comfortable there with your friend Farquhar. Yeah, exactly. If somebody pluck the pheasants and we'll be off. Now, the the this was so liberating to me to hear people swearing and so intoxicating and so exciting. I thought this is just what you do. And my dad wouldn't have brought me here if this wasn't, you know, if this wasn't part of the deal. So I just started rattling off all repeating all the swear words I'd heard and any others I'd picked up in the playground. And he kind of didn't know what to do about it. It was a very, uh, you know, I remember it vividly. Lost my dad, actually, in November, I'm sad to say. And um, yeah, uh, <laughs> That was one of my early memories of our bonding. That's fantastic. So you didn't go back for a couple of years, and by that stage, it was Robo Mackay and Bowman starting to come through, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I think I went back a couple of times. There was a guy around the corner whose dad used to take us. I remember going to Sunderland at home in a pre-season friendly, sitting in the shed, and and that would be it. Must have been about eighty-one because I remember the song. I remember that stuck in my mind was uh, was Ford Must Go. Now back to my original point about the hearts fans being intolerant the first song i really remember being her hearing being sung with vigor out of the shed was ford must go a song from the heart support to get rid of their manager who they hated and it was successful he only lasted about six months 24 i think 
at least you, you had the lyrics correctly. I'm all for self-deprecation and taking the piss at myself on this podcast. I've been doing it for five and a half years. Mm. And I'll tell this story against myself because I think it's quite funny. Misheard lyrics. Hearts are playing Hibs. Hibs goalkeeper is Jim Layton. I'm with my pals from Penny Cook, Lenny and Toshney. I'll speak more about them later. So I heard the Hearts fans singing, na, 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 na. I thought it was Andy Pandy. So I'm thinking, Andy, Pandy. And I'm thinking, why are they singing Andy Pandy to Jim Layton? And they're singing Bandy Bandy, of course, because of his legs. So, yeah, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. And then I know you were a mascot. We've spoken about that um, in April 1983. And another story about myself. And, and this is to do with next week's homework, because I want you to reach out to us if you've ever been a mascot at Tyne Castle or you've been a ball boy or a ball girl at Tyne Castle. So I go back to Lenny and Toshney from Pennycook. So Toshney's for a couple of years, because John Frame, who we knew from Pennycook, um, who was involved at Hearts at the time as our history teacher at Pennycook High School, um, he was in charge of all the, the ball kids. So Toshney was a ball kid, and there were a couple short for a midweek game one night. So he asks me and Lenny, so I said, yeah, sure. Um, unfortunately, um, I'm not the, the, the shortest of, of people. And at that age, I was I was a giant. I had a head like a sniper's dream. I was also long in the body. And they only had kids' clothing for me. So I kind of had Under Armour skin-tight leggings before they were a thing. When I was ball boy in front of the shed um, for a midweek game, Lenny was also a ball boy. And Gary Mackay told him to hurry the fuck up to take a throw-in when he had the ball. It was the only time he had anything to do all night. Calm down, Gary, says Lenny. Scott, have you... Well, I've, I've been a ball boy once in front of the shed. Martin's been a mascot. How close have you been to, to being on the Tyne Castle pitch or being a ball boy at a game? Unfortunately, I was never a mascot. So when when I had the chance to be a mascot, it was all done... From what I remember anyway, you were you would pay like a couple of pounds a year and you would be part of the junior jambos. Mm -hmm. But at that time, it, you know, mascots were drawn, as, as far as I remember. I don't think it's, it's not it's not like it is now where you can sort of, you know, you can book your own sort of mascot slot. So I think back then it was a case where you would get sort of drawn out. Uh, never had the, uh, the pleasure of being a mascot. In terms of ball boy, what me and one of my friends used to do on a few occasions was go to the reserve games because they were still getting played at Tynecastle predominantly during the sort of mid to late 90s. So when I was a teenager, I would sort of stand outside Tynecastle sometimes on a rain-soaked night and wait for someone to come out and say they're looking for a couple of ball boys because during those fixtures, they're needing somebody quite young that can get up and down the <laughs> the, uh, the stairs of Tynecastle to sort of fetch the ball. So that was kind of the only sort of ball boy experiences that I ever got was kind of turning up to those reserve games and kind of just putting myself forward for it. Martin, I think I had you... to I think I had to win a quiz to be the mascot. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. John, it was it was John Frame. You're talking about John Frame, uh, legendary yeah. tennis umpire, Wimbledon exactly. finals umpire by the no less. Yeah. yeah so he, I, play, I played for Hearts. I played for the Hearts Junior Club, I hasten to add. That's uh, as glamorous as it got. In a, in a tournament that Jack Kane and Craig Miller, John Frame took us there. Me, a couple of pals, and well, there was 10 of us in the team. However, no, I think it was seven of sides we were playing. And um, yeah, my pal Rog, who I still go to the games with, put his foot in our box in the last second of the game against Celtic, when we were one all, Celtic beat us two one, and they went off to the finals at Wembley instead of oh. us. But there we go. He was a good man, John Frame. Our, he was. Our glory, though, was snatched away by my idiot friend. 
I played in that seven asides as well. We won that tournament. We didn't get to Wembley. We got to go and we presented with our medals on the pitch. Um, and it was it wasn't Joe Jordan's first game, but it was Craig Levine was there as well. It was great. It was great. And the the junior jambos back then, the Hearts Junior Club. But you weren't meant to be mascot for that game in April '83. You were meant to be mascot in December '82 against the same opponents. Yes. But what happened? It was snowed off oh. uh, ludicrously late. I was in the stadium. <gasps> I walked down, passing the programme sellers, smelling the brewery, the whole thing. Inside, just at the back door of the stand, knocked on the door. Somebody came out with it. They ushered me in because it was snowing. And then somebody came before I could get any further in said that pitch inspection game's off. And off I trudged home and had to wait about three months. But um, yeah, the crushing, crushing disappointment to a young kid. But anyway. My time came. Well, yeah, all ready to go, and then game is called off. At least you got the chance to be the mascot in front of 5,054 fans against Queen's Park at Town Castle on Wednesday, the 6th of April, 1983, mm. the day before my 6th birthday. Jesus. Um, you, you did all right with yourself, didn't you? After after starting starting out um, at Edinburgh Zoo as an assistant in their press office, moving to STV to replace Stephen Jardin, presenting the lunchtime news at the age of 22 on STV with Kirsty Young, sharing a desk with her and Carol Smiley and Viv Lumsden and Shireen Nanjiani, and better than that, Jim Delahunt. But meanwhile, upstairs, <laughs> Jim White, Jerry McNee and Paul Cooney. That's quite the name drop that we've just provided there. Yeah, that was... Those those were the days. I, could, I remember the arrogance of youth and thinking, oh, this is good, I, I belong here. They, they, just even rhyming out those names now and thinking back to those days, I had absolutely no business being there whatsoever. But it was an absolute hoot. That sports department, by the way, Oof. with um, with Whitey, um, before he was a reformed character, was <laughs> out, out, outrageous. None of the stories are necessarily for broadcast consumption but it was it was you know the 90s plus whitey plus his previous lifestyle plus everything else made for an entertaining time and mcnee as well um but yeah no it was an amazing time and genuinely that whole kind of work hard play hard thing and some really mm. extraordinarily experienced people to learn from it was an amazing place to to learn your trade so yeah it was an it was it was a great school that it's weird when you look back, it was exactly the, the same time, 1993, I was at Radio 4th and Work Experience, and the first story I got to do was Wallace Mercer selling hearts, uh, and I went mm -hmm. along to the press conference, and at the back of the room was someone who's now one of my best friends, Ian Mercer, who was there, Wallace's son. So it's funny how you, you, there comes a time you've got to believe you belong, otherwise you just get trampled on. Scotty, has there been a time for you with regards to hearts where you thought, well, I'm not quite sure how I got here, but... If it's not me, it's somebody else, so it may as well be me. Eh, <laughs> uh, oh God, no. I can't think of anything off the top of my head anyway. Make it up. So oh, weird. God. Oh, Denny, you can't want a mic for this stuff. Eh, uh, no, I honestly can't. No, you need to come back to me on that one. I will. And Laurie Too nice a person. Out. Too nice a person. Not arrogant yes. enough. That's uh, <laughs> big credit, Scott. <laughs> Absolute spots like me and Donaldson would just say, "Out of my way! I'm coming through. It's my time." I just Trump. can't name drop. Honestly, I've just I've got no names to drop. I think that's my problem. It's Bye, not. It's, it's, it's not through the fact that I'm a humble individual at all. It's just <laughs> you've given me far too much credit there, Martin. I just, I just don't have the names to drop that you guys have.
I'm just trying to be all inclusive rather than me, Martin, me, Martin, and let's hear about Martin's background and everything like that. I just well, I'm, I'm quite happy he did it, to be honest. So well, he's got he's got a great happy. story, and I want to I want to keep it coming back to Hearts, of course, because we've got him on this podcast. This isn't the Graham Spears podcast where they're talking about all these posh things and and goodness knows what and Jerry McNee. Um, when you left STV in 1998 to become Scotland correspondent with Sky Sports, it's fine. You're you're still in Scotland. You've still got the relationship. With Hearts, you go back to SCV in Scotland today. Then things change, and you go to ITN for 17 years, just after 9-11. So what happens to the season ticket then, and how do you keep in touch with events at Tynecastle when you're covering stories like the Iraq War, the tsunami and the earthquake in the Indian Ocean, and Hurricane Katrina in August 2005? You just keep the season ticket and go when you can. I mean, you know, I was away a lot, but... uh... ITM was an amazing place to work, and the, and the workload was was very strange in that when you were away, you were away, and when you were at home, you I mean, obviously you were at home. But what I mean is, when the phone rang, the deal with ITM was if you wanted to be a foreign correspondent. And somebody told me this very early in my career. They said, "Here's the bargain, mate." When we call, you answer the phone on the second ring 100% of the time. And when we ask you to go somewhere, the answer is always yes. If you're prepared to give us that, you know that 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 level of your time then you'll have a great old life. If you're prepared to go to some of the places we want you to go to, if you're prepared to put everything into the job, I don't. we don't care where you are the rest of the time. You can do what you like. Just answer the phone when we want you to go somewhere and go. And um, it's not for everybody, that lifestyle. And I tell you yeah. what, you need a very, very understanding other half. Uh, and I'm incredibly lucky in that. I've just got the best wife you could ever have, who I think quite secretly was perfectly happy, happier perhaps when I was away. Uh, she certainly got very early. Do you know, just after I joined ITN, just before I went away to Iraq, um, she uh, she took me up the post office and got me to buy a 99p will and sign that. And then we went home and she double-checked the uh, ITN uh, life insurance policy. And after she checked that both of those things were in place, I could go where I liked and do what I wanted. So, um, yeah, we had a, we, we had a you know, had a, had a great old run for 17 years with that lot. A few of them, it became slightly difficult when I was living in Africa for, for what, five I years. I was about then... to ask you that. What, what, was, what did the missus say when, well, first of all, May 2006, you, you fuck off to Johannesburg. Was it before or after the Gretna Cup final? It was just after. It so was June we went. I got to the game. It was my mate Stag do in Aaron, actually. And we went for about a week and then came back. And the and Hamden was on the way home from Aaron. Oh come on! Uh, it was yeah, it was well timed. It was good. And then packed uh, the misses and the toddlers, as they were at the time, and off we went to have adventures. And we were away for six, seven, eight years. I can't remember. Um, uh, and just had the time of our lives. And we'd come, we'd come back sporadically. It's ama- It's amazing when there's a big game or a cup semi or whatever going on. It's amazing what what uh, creative. Um, <laughs> reasons you can have for arranging a meeting in London there, you just that. need to have yeah you know what I mean um, and then I was in Brussels after that and we'd, we'd actually come home quite I'd just fly home for a big game um, so yeah it was um, it was good the game's been good to me brother yeah, I'm very lucky the conversations can be awkward though where's St Gallen she asks I said it's in Switzerland <laughs> what the fuck are you going there for I just, I, I, I've got a couple of pals 
over there. Um, just to do a heart. <laughs> just coincidentally might be. It was like when we used to cover the games back in the day against Lantana and Mallorca. I used to come back with all these pictures of blondes and brunettes and whatever, but there was always a church in the background. You can't be too careful, Martin, if they ask questions about photos you took on a hearts trip, right? Mm, yeah. Many of my trips were in the days before mobile phones. In fact, many of my escapades were in the days before camera phones. Uh, there's a lot to be said for that, Mark. A lot. Yes, yes. So you ended up in Brussels after that. You then came back to the UK, and and the love affair with hearts continues. And I suppose it's a lot easier when you came back to Scotland to become co-host of the Nine on the BBC Scotland channel, and now Drive Time host of BBC Radio Scotland's show in the afternoon from four to six so are there any games you can't get to these days because of work i mean you know ross county away on a wednesday night would be a struggle <laughs> and there'd be a decision to be made as to whether i take a day's leave but no you can get to pretty much pretty much everything within reason uh, i've got a program on a sunday morning as well kind of the sunday show that i do um off the back of laura kunzberg's program and that means that Saturdays, I've probably got to spend half my Saturday reading in. It's quite a heavy kind of political program, two big political interviews. So there's a lot of prep to be done for that. I try and do a bit of it on a Friday once we've got an idea of who we're going to get on as guests. And and probably half a Saturday's taken up as well. But I do, I have to confess, very definitely choreograph my work at the weekends around the football, who we've got and, and, and so on. It never, it never really gets in the way. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's a question of priorities, old son. It's a question mm -hmm. of priorities. There's always one, isn't it? And that's the team that play in maroon and white. No, well, that's what I mean. I say that's precisely what. Don't don't misinterpret what no, I'm saying. No, I'm just that's the priority. Yeah. Back, you've got a triple check at the BBC now, haven't you? You can't run anything unless you've got two independent, verified sources. Well, so they so they tell me. What's the difference between being at the BBC with regards to vitriolic abuse that you get compared to being at ITM? Unbelievable. Immeasurable. Absolutely immeasurable. I covered the independence referendum for ITN a uh, full year up here. Basically, they're kind of de facto Scottish political editor right through the whole thing. I barely registered a murmur on social <laughs> media. Uh, I I do what I would consider to be a fairly, you know, on an on an averagely bland Sunday morning. Now I'll kind of knock out a couple of interviews and I'll come off air and think, yeah, it seemed to go all right. There's just a cascade of just <laughs> mayhem. Don't do not look at phone. Do not engage for the rest of the day. It's genuinely. I mean, it's quite right. Everybody pays for the BBC, right? So you get you you pay your money. You get a right to to express your opinion. And um, if you step into the you know, if you step into that arena as a political interviewer or whatever, you're very much part of it. So, um, yeah, it's fine. It is what it is. It's not particularly pleasant, but, um, you know, getting grief from from the keyboard warriors, but uh, it's it's fine. It doesn't really bother me that much, I have to confess. You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, brought to you in association with Forrest, Hepburn and McDonald Signs, creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. So to continue a theme that we've started last week to do with your favourite hearts goal celebrations. So we asked for some homework for this week. What were your favourite hearts celebrations? HMFC France, Rudy Scatchel scoring the 3-1 goal at Easter Road. First, the salute to the hearts fans, then the gesture to show his name to the Hibs fans. Superb. The Old Castle Rock, Jamie Hamill smashing into Derek Adams has to be number one. Um, also, 
as far as goal celebrations are concerned. What else do we have? Gary Locke's touchline reaction to Billy King scoring our second in the famous relegation party derby is an all-time favourite. That was from Elliot Hall. From Jambo Daft Jim. I just want to say I cannot stand rehearsed celebrations. Give me players running around with all four limbs flailing like a wacky waving tube man that's been caught in a tornado every single day. Not unlike a certain Aussie on a fateful day in May 2012. Graham Taylor, Kevin Kyle running around the Gorgian Wheatfield stands after scoring in the New Year derby was pure passion. Callum Taylor almost any Callum Patterson celebration, bonus points for the ones against Hibs. Stephen Jap, David Obua at Easter Road, Gangster, Stuart Mann, just with a picture of Craig Beattie, Jimmy M, David, uh, sorry, Toby Sibick doing fingers and ears at Easter Road, especially because he tried it the week before, but the goal was chalked off. Aaron Fraser, Rudy to the Hibs fans, get it right up you. Scott, not ones that you've looked at on your Betamax and VHS collection of Hearts games, but to continue this with limbs, what's the game that you've celebrated at and got home and thought, Jesus, you've got bruises all over your legs because the celebrations were that good? Probably probably Stampy at Easter Road. That was probably one of the nights where uh, you really did get thrown about the place like a you know, an empty crisp packet. It was just, it was mental. Uh, I unfortunately wasn't at Anfield. I could imagine that that was probably up there for most people. But yeah, I'd, for some reason, I, I, I don't know why it is, because I've been to Easter Road a few times and celebrated many a goal, but Phil Stamps that night, it was possibly because we were so inept for the best part of 80-odd mm -hmm. minutes that night. I think most of us at the game probably felt that we weren't going to get a result. Back then, we were just coming towards the, the... We had just got to the tail end of the sort of uh, poor crowds at Easter Road as well. We'd had about three or four years where some Hearts fans weren't happy with the pricing. We hadn't had a few good results there either for a little while. Uh, so I don't know if there was just a few factors that just came into it, but seeing those two goals two goals going, uh, I think we just, you know, stopped celebrating the first one uh, when we saw Stampy <laughs> getting sent through for Neil Jancic. So, yeah, that one's probably up there as a as a personal highlight for me. I think home fixtures, probably Katongo's goal against Celtic. Uh, I was actually, I actually had a season ticket with one of the boys that ended up on the pitch that day. Uh, the majority of the boys and girls that ended up on the pitch that day were... Uh, from the Broomhouse area and went to Forrester High School, so <laughs> I was probably one of the few that didn't end up on the on the park that day. But that one probably brings back fond memories in terms of home fixtures as well. I think Ian Ferguson scoring against Bayern uh, was one of my favourites. I was in a family enclosure that night with my pal Barry Wood, and then just dancing along Gorgie Road afterwards. What about you, Martin? What's your most memorable Hearts goal celebration? Well, that the, the aforementioned Ian Ferguson. That was my 18th birthday that night. Wow. Uh, that was a that was a hell of a night uh, for a number of reasons. Um, uh, it, but celebrations? Did nobody mention Wayne Foster? That was mentioned last week. Oh, was it? it? Was ah, just right, the impromptu right, right. on the on the on the the barriers afterwards on the yeah fence, yeah yeah looking I mean, around and kind of going where is everyone? Yeah, um, control over that. Remember, because you know it was just that fast. You would just open the gates and Fozzie yeah. would just run and run. So it, it yeah. was probably just the first thing that stopped them. Exactly. <laughs> He'd have been in North Berwick otherwise. 
uh, memorable celebrations. Mark de Vries in Bordeaux, I think. Uh, that oh, was amazing that was to be in that. Um, and you mentioned Anfield, Scott. I was I was down there, but I couldn't get a ticket for the Hearts. And so I managed to add it. I had a little flat in Manchester at the time. I was doing quite a lot of work in the north of England. So we, because I had a, an English address, I could apply for home tickets. And I got we got the cheapest Liverpool hospitality deal, me and two mates. So we were sitting on the seats right on the edge of the cop. And uh, I remember the Liverpool fans were singing, you're just a small team from Scotland at Hearts. <laughs> and Temps scored. And me and two mates were just up at the tops of our voices, looking at the cop, giving it, we're just a small team from Scotland. And they took it really well. Uh, and I was wondering why they took it so well. And then uh, a certain man right in front of us destroyed us twice in within mm. five minutes in the second half, didn't he, Tevez? And uh, that was the Tevez. end of that. Suarez. What's Tevez? Suarez. You're rewriting history, son. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Suarez. Did, Suarez did us. Uh, he gnawed his way through our defence twice in the second half, and that was the end of that. It's so the, only, um, the yeah. only time I've been unprofessional during a tennis commentary at the US Open, along with Jeff Tarango and Templeton scored at Anfield, and I was doing a women's match on the old grandstand, and I let out a yelp. And it wasn't great because the window was open in front, but like. You know what it's like, Mark, because you've 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 travelled all over the world. You've been in some funky places, and I'm sure there's some great stories for another day, perhaps of of just trying to get internet access to follow the game along, or some sort of radio commentary, or whatever. But it just shows the feeling that we have for our team, and it's not just Heart supporters, but it's it's great right now to to look back and and see and rem reminisce about all these memories but but also we don't have to go back too far just recent weeks to see game upon game win upon win is is this this leads us into best second half performances at Tynecastle by the way but when would you say is the last run of fixtures where you felt as good as being a heart a heart supporter as you do right now well, I'll give you two. Somebody was asking on Twitter uh, yesterday or today, I think. Um, oh, look at the way Stevie Naismith's talking about going to going to play Rangers. We're going there. We're going to attack. We want to win. When's the last time we had a manager who behaved like that? Robbie Nielsen. Three seasons ago, we went what twelve games unbeaten at the start of the season. Scott, you'll correct me on that. But I think eleven or twelve games unbeaten with yeah. Rangers, like the eighth game, I think, of that run. And I remember. The threshold for loyalty points was massively high for that. We were just kind of, we've made a whole lot of signings in the closed season. I remember bumping into Robbie. I was at the filling station, you know, the BP filling station just opposite Edinburgh Airport. And I was coming out as he was walking in and I just got my ticket for Ibrox. And I was absolutely buzzing. And I bumped into him and we were chatting and I said, look, I've got this. What's the plan? What's going on? How come it's going so right? And he said, look, he said, we operate on the basis kind of in our game that you make a bunch of signings in the summer. And, you know, if half of them work, then you're kind of winning. And he said, I don't quite know how, but just everybody we've signed has clicked and and we're flying and, you know, long may it continue. So that run recently gets gets quite easily overlooked, I think, by a lot of Hearts fans because, you know, Robbie was never necessarily a favourite. Um, and then prior to that, it was Burley. I mean, Jesus. I remember going to Celtic Park and singing and uh, singing We Are Unbeatable and the Celtic fans taking it taking it really, really badly. Just infuriated. How dare anybody come here and rub our noses in it? And we were at that point unbeatable. I mean, obviously, then the train came catapulting mm. off the tracks. But um, yeah, it was good while it lasted. Scott, what about you as far as feeling this way after a run of Hearts results like this? I think 97-98 probably comes mm -hmm. to mind because that, that was a time where 
our form was so consistent against the non-old firm teams that they actually had to go into fixtures having to beat us. We 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 actually went into those games against Rangers and Celtic that season knowing that it was imperative for them to beat us rather than the other way about uh, due to just how good we'd been against all the other sides. And if we'd just got even one or two results against the old firm that season, we would have probably been a lot closer to the, the sort of top two by the by the closing weeks. But that one sort of comes to mind, you know, we, we had a run of games from about September to about December where we didn't lose. Uh, you know, we were scoring three or four goals at Bitaudry, at Fur Park, at Rugby Park. So it wasn't just the fact that you were enjoying the results, you were really enjoying the football as well. Quiz question, well not quiz question, question for you both. Have a think about this one. What's been Hart's best second half display at Tynecastle this season? While you're thinking, Laurie put that out earlier. So Stephen said, superb second half showings have become the norm for the first team this season. But a real stick out for me was Macaulay Tate with the B team at East Kilbride. EK are flying this season, but he bossed it down there and got us a victory. I'd love to see him get some proper minutes this week or so. From Helen... I think this might end up being the winner. 3-2, Dundee, Tynecastle. I was watching it on pay-per-view and turned it off at halftime and said to myself, if Hearts win 3-2, I will never watch Hearts on pay-per-view again. Martin Geisler, your favourite second-half Hearts display at Tynecastle this season. I'm one of these guys whose brain is wired in a different way to the rest of you, and I can never remember anything. I can't remember games, scorers, scores, performances, anything. Three two Dundee uh, is is a good call, uh, obviously. Um, I don't, do you know my 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 overall kind of assessment of 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 our kind of what we do in the second hour, how we're playing this season is until the last couple of games, I would say. We haven't really been all that good this season. We've been putting out performances that in previous seasons without Shank scoring like he's doing or without that extra bit of belief or without us playing right through to the kind of 95th, 96th minute, we might have taken one point or no points from, but now we're converting those into three until the last three or four games when we've actually tried. I mean, we're a bloody good football team now, aren't we? We're the way we move the ball, the speed, the pace, the confidence, the the, the unit. Um is, is is kind of my assessment, but I'm conscious that I'm waffling and that I haven't answered the question that you asked no, me. So you're very good at that at times. It just buys you more. It buys you more time. I should have gone to Scott first, but the old Castle Rock said the three-two win um, sticks out the best against Dundee earlier in the season, and that that's to do with um, that. But he said Dens obviously beat them at home by three goals to two as well. Uh, but Rosenberg game and the Aberdeen game as well were very strong in the second half. Scott, you've got a ridiculously robotic memory that can recall anything that happened so this this is like an encyclopedic answer i would imagine i'm going to change the goalpost slightly because i feel like everyone's already used the best examples for Tynecastle this season i actually think our best away performance second half this season was at parkhead uh i've been at parkhead many times and saw us squander one and two goal leads even sometimes so to see us see out that game with the relative ease that we did is something that you you don't see very often. Uh, it was a really mature second half performance, especially when you consider, you know, Aidan Denham had only had a handful of first team starts for the club prior to that game. 
Uh, and there were certain other individuals that I think really stood out that day as well. I think Atkinson and Cochrane as wing-backs that day were, were phenomenal. Uh, and for me, it, you know, that's probably the, the most impressive we've been in the second half of, of any match this season. Because there was the expectation coming out at half-time. I think Dyson Maeda came on at half-time for Celtic as well. And there was that expectation of... We're going to be camped in our half, we're going to be biting our nails for 45 minutes and we'll probably come away grateful that we even scraped a draw. But it was so easy, you know, and, and people will naturally look at a result like that and they'll focus more on Celtic than on us and on their feelings. But we were really good that day uh, and, yeah, definitely hard push to find anything more, more impressive. Don't, don't, Scott. You know, I, Celtic away. I always say, no, nah, I'm not going because it's just not always that a pleasant <laughs> you didn't experience. Go, did you? And I, and I, and I, and, but I, I always say I'm not going. And then always on like the Thursday or the Friday, if there's still tickets, a mate will come and say, oh, listen, come on, come on, come on. And I always buckle. I always gave, yeah, okay, what else am I going to do? That's fine. This time, I dug my heels in and from the very start, I said, I'm just not going. No. I've been there too many times. It's never worth it. It's like the definition of insanity, doing the same thing repeatedly and expecting a different result. We know what's going to happen. I've got so much on. I've got such a busy show. And so I'm just not going. And then, of course, sitting at home doing nothing but listening to it on the radio and just <laughs> booting myself around the living room. It's a disaster. You're listening to Scars Around the Funnel, brought to you in association with Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. We're in the home stretch. Time to quickly preview Rangers against Hearts. Right, Jets, we know what's going to happen. Lauren Shanklin's going to score inside the first five minutes for the third game in a row at Ibrox between Rangers and Hearts. So what happens in the rest of the game? Scott McIntosh. Uh. I've got a bad feeling about Saturday, and and it's not. Oh, no, 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 yes. no, 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 that's no. the boy. He's stolen my line. Let um. me let, let, let me let me add to that. It's not because there's a lack of faith in this current team on the on the form that they've got or in the manager, but we're starting to get the, to the business end of the season, and it, I just think that the need for Rangers to win is greater than ours just now. And I think that ultimately will tell. Now, whether that's going to tell purely just amongst the footballers or whether there's going to be officiating that's going to have an influence on it as well, I don't know yet. But I just I, I just can't see it. I've just got this gut feeling that... I, I, don't, think, I don't think we're going to you know, embarrass ourselves. I think it's going to be a tight game and I think we'll, we'll play as well as we can. But ultimately... Rangers have just got that momentum just now and I can see them winning by a goal. I, do, I, I don't know if it was you, Martin, I mentioned, I think it was, in your, your last answer. Here's me talking about listening to what your uh, your guests say about the way Hearts are playing, but, but having that match winner, that unplayable striker. Rangers haven't been great. Um, they've just been consistent since Philippe Clement came in. So is it a case of everything to gain for Hearts and very little to lose this weekend at Ibrox? No, pump three one. Devlin sent off. Oh Jesus! No, that's my that's my default. I just say, <laughs> because one day it'll be right, and uh, if it doesn't work out like that, then it's a bonus anyway, isn't it? No, I thought look, we're going there with a comp with brimming, brimming with confidence, um, and and a justifiable confidence as well. It's not just ill informed self belief. It's it's the evidence of the last 
two and a half months, three months. It's the evidence of a season. Also, you're right, uh, Philip Cement, as an Aberdeen fan unkindly referred to him on the radio the, <laughs> the other morning, is, has definitely changed that team around, and their dressing room's not short on confidence either. But their players aren't all that good. Um, and, and I mean, they're not bad, but but this is not a, 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 a Rangers... Not a vintage Rangers side, is it's it? It's not a Rangers side for the ages, is it? So no. so I don't think we should... I don't think we should worry. We've got players who have been there and won. We've taken worse teams to Ibrox and and come away with something. So, yeah, I mean, like everybody's going to have to be in the game and the formation's going to have to be right. But again, look at that squad. Look at Saturday's squad and tell me who, who you wouldn't want to see on the pitch there. What we want. That's what you're after. You just have to hope that when it goes into stoppage time that you get a strong official and you also get better defending and not stupid jersey tugging by Peter Haring or whoever that gives them a penalty kick which Tavernier dispatches and then Hearts go to sleep and Danilo scores with a header from across deep into added time. The thing there'll be a moment game, though. There'll be a moment like that though. There will be. A, there always is at Ibrox. We don't there? know who there'll the referee is yet. That gets decided. I, I checked. Oh, I'm not saying referees. On a I Tuesday. Just... I just say a moment, a moment of stupidity, a moment of madness. There'll be a, there'll be something that you that that take that you carry back along the M8, thinking, oh, God, what, if only, if only that hadn't happened. So why, why, why should there be? What, this is the new hearts. This is the let's not kind of have a glass half empty. Let's kind of go into it and let them worry about us. Why should there be something well, like just, that? Just, just what we love about football. It could be a refereeing abomination. They just the Ibrox games are eventful, aren't they? That's all I'm saying. There's just yeah. always there always seems to be something. You always come away with something with a moment that that is a, a point of contention. It's funny this this fixture, Scotty, isn't it? Because the last two games have not only featured a Lawrence Shankland goal inside five minutes in both of them, but goals in the ninetieth minute or beyond. We know about Tavernier's hmm. penalty and Danilo, but remember Garan Cool? It didn't really mean much to Hearts that two all game as well, but Cool celebrated like it did. I, I watched that goal. Sorry to jump in on you, Scott. I watched that goal. I saw that goal through a crack in the door of the Loudon Tavern as I was racing back to my car to beat the traffic. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, we're done here. Let's get out of here earlier. We'll save ourselves two hours on the road. Hope to get over the, the squinty bridge. Heard a roar, was passing the Loudon Tavern, had a quick look through, saw Cool celebrating. I'm glad you added you were passing and not watching the game on a dodgy I'm street. I <laughs> think I'm going to go into the Loudon Tavern. No. <laughs> no. No, <laughs> no, Scotty. This fifth minute inside five minutes Shanklin goal and this ninetieth minute goal at Ibrox. Will we see either this weekend? Time for predictions. What do you reckon? I think it's going to be one 0 Rangers. I do think we will show up well, and I think we'll do what we can. But again, it's. I just think this is the first time there's probably been a proper race to the title in Scotland for, for quite a few years, you know, the, the last few years that Celtic or Rangers have won it, it's pretty much been at a canter, the other team have been really struggling, uh, I do think that there, that brings a certain level of pressure on the home side, but also the officials as well, and although I don't think Rangers will have a vintage display on Saturday, I do think they'll just sneak it, unfortunately. Martin Geisler. Two all, Hearts goals from either Forrest or Vargas and Kent. Okay, I'll go 1-1 Shankland for Hearts. It's been a pleasure, Martin Geisler. Thank you so much for having us on. Now, you you say you listen to the, this podcast, among other Hearts podcasts, on your, on your drive to work. So because you're on it this week, do you listen to it this week? 
probably not. I don't like doing that. But let me leave you with a question. I want to ask you guys. You've been doing all the all, all the quizzing today, Mark. Okay. Uh, let me play Ann Budge. I've been thinking about this. I, I, I put this to a couple of mates at the weekend. If I, I'm Ann Budge, right, and I'm walking in, you're on the board, and I'm walking in the boardroom, and I'm sitting down now, and I'm saying to you, right, I'll tell you what I want to do, guys. Vote on this. Um, I'm going to offer, I want to offer Stephen Naismith a four-year contract. But the deal is, he's not allowed to leave and we're not allowed to sack him. Do you vote yes or do you vote no? Is he that good? Do you have faith? Scott, you take this first. <laughs> Cheers for that. Uh, I would vote no, but that's just because as a general really firm, managers of his experience should be on rolling contracts. Uh, and this isn't just an issue with Naismith. I said the same thing when Aberdeen gave a three-year deal to Barry Robson last year. I said that that would all end in tears. I'm generally not keen on those types of contracts for managers and to a lesser extent players. I always think there should be incentive. Um, what if what if I say in this fantasy game, right, that 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 he's going to leave otherwise, right? The reason he's going to stay is if he signs a four-year deal and it's a binding deal for both clubs. You've just got to take the gamble, whatever. Whatever you get, you get, and he's going to be your manager for the next four years. He can't do anything about it. We can't. I'd say and no. that's the only reason I'll stay. You'd say no. no. The, re the reason I'd say no is I want him to leave eventually because the only way he's going to leave is if he is successful, if he doesn't get fired. If he is successful, it's the same way any other player. There's a reason that people are interested in Lauren Shankland right now because he's playing really well. And Hearts should be about that. It should be about come to Hearts, be better, get sold, set yourself up for life. And then we are in a better place financially, and you get yourself a better club. But, there are but that's the whole point of my deal here, is that if he's successful, he can't leave. We get the best of it. But four-year deal. I'm with Scott. Not so much whether it's a rolling contract or whatever, but just a few months ago, we were saying, uh, I'm not so sure about Naismith or whatever. What happens if Hearts were to go on a run now? We've got Rangers coming up. We've got Hibs coming up. We've got Celtic coming up. This time last year, we played Motherwell. This was the start of seven defeats in eight <laughs> games. Right? I've done yeah. the homework because this is exactly a year ago since I last hosted when Laurie was off for the birth of his child. So what happens if that happens? And then Geisler, Budge, uh, Conglomerates Association Company Limited have decided to give the manager a four-year deal. I don't know. I'm not. I, I think you need to earn something like that. Um, the only four-year deal I'd be offering right now is to Lawrence Shankland and... He certainly wouldn't be signing it, but is it is it negotiable? Is it got to be four? Can we say two? Can we say rolling twelve months, or is it a four year with these terms? Uh, mate, this is this is something that was dreamed up after three or four pints in the pub when we were all talking nonsense. You're expecting far too much logic from me. I'll let you what take it. What, well, what did you say? What was your here. answer? I, I was asking the questions. My my answer at the moment, of course, I wouldn't. No chance. It would be a ridiculous thing to do. Who came up with the question then? Me. Come up with better ones next time. Start tomorrow <laughs> on your drive time show. Homework for next week. Have you ever been a mascot or a ball boy or ball girl at Tyne Castle? Around the funnel on Twitter or email podcast. Oh, just, just before you finish. Don't be me. Don't no, do what I no, do. No. Just before you finish. Sake. I really do hope that there's a a certain ex-ball boy that listens to our show that will get in touch with us. I always remember the ball boy who ran on the park and actually took the ball away for Gordon Marshall due that, during that League Cup tie <laughs> when Robbo scored. If he is still about and he's listening to this, I'd love him to get in touch and tell us what it was that Alan Ray told him. <laughs> said to him when he had to yank him off the park because that was brilliant. Like That was just great watching that.
Fantastic. At Around the Funnel on Twitter or email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. Just before we go, we've previewed Rangers Hearts. We've looked back at Hearts against Motherwell. Just make sure your language on drive time tomorrow on BBC Radio Scotland doesn't quite mirror some of the language that's been deplorable today on this show, Mr. Geisler. None, none of it for me. I wouldn't dare. I never would never do that. I'm foul mouthed at the best of times, but never into a microphone. I fear that once you pop, you can't stop. Speaking of which, farts, farts, glorious farts. Bye for now. Back to basics, baby. You already know, baby. Poo poo bum bum, poo poo bum bum, stinky stinky poo poo bum bum. Hey, stinky poo poo bum bum.